0: BB Fajohier, welcome to the African Liberation Media Podcast. Media solely focused on the liberation and empowerment of African people. I'm your host, Gullah Jack, aka Russell Swooley. Let's get to it. BB Fajodier, this is the African
1: Liberation Media. I'm here with brothers. Most brothers Makaroo, I am Gullah Jack, aka Russell Swilly. Without further ado, brother Makaroo, why don't you introduce us to our guest? I have the best
2: seat in the house. A Holy A Hotel Bato Mapampano, Lafia, African Liberation Media family. Once again, we're broadcasting via remote locations and we have special guest on the line joining myself, Gullah Jack and Brother Armo, and that is our esteemed brother, Brother Obi, <laughs> located in the, uh, comfortably located in the bastion of imperialism, Washington, D.C. And uh, Brother Obi, has has been with us on several occasions uh, articulating uh his uh, extensive knowledge of situation of our brothers and sisters on the african continent particularly in zimbabwe Uh, but one of the things that uh he's also been involved in is solidarity with the uh, cuban revolution for several years and he sent out this historic appeal called get out of Cuba's way, and it's titled "Embracing Cuba's Heroic Efforts to Eradicate the Coronavirus (COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2)." And uh, there were a, a number of uh, people who signed uh, this uh, this appeal in, in agreement with uh, with Brother Obi. And including uh, the daughter of the Honorable Kwame Nkrumah, Samia Yaba Nkrumah, and, uh, many others, uh, Central uh, Cynthia McKinney, PhD, Dr. Abdul Aleem uh, Muhammad, and uh, our good brother, Dr. Kelly Harris, the Honorable Alice Wyndham, a long time uh, was a comrade of Brother Malcolm, Dory Ladner, uh, and Mukasa Dada. I used to have a mad crush on Dory, but I was too scared to say anything to her when I was a student <laughs> in Morehouse. She was a veteran out of Mississippi. Money over there. Uh, Set with I sat with Dory at the uh, first Congress of African People. Uh, and that was that was I tell you, she was she was a ball of fire, no question about it. Mumia Abu Jamal, Russell Maroon Schultz, I mean, uh, Zaki Baruti, Lena Jeffries. Uh, all African Peoples Revolutionary Party. Just the list goes on and on. So, why don't you tell us Malefia Asante, tell us, uh, brother, brother uh, almost Greg Carr. I mean, I could just keep on going down the list. Anthony Browder, Mark Lamont Hill. Man, uh, how did I miss that list? Anyway, uh, <laughs> talk to us. Uh talk to us, good brother. I mean,
1: uh, oh, obviously man.
2: about that. You
1: are you, really, you, really you, you were doing you're doing fine. Huh? Uh, you got me ready to listen now, man. How, how are you? How are you all doing? It's been a long time.
2: Yeah, it it it, it has
1: it has been. Yes, it, and- yes, it has. And um, um, and just um, it's always a coincidence um when comrades um join hands. Um, I want to wish all of you uh. On behalf of uh, the Zimbabwean people and the Zimbabwean liberation struggle, uh, a 40th anniversary of Zimbabwe turned 40 yesterday. All right. So it's just no coincidence okay. that we would be on today. Um. Oh man, uh, you know, we, we put this appeal out last Saturday and um, it hasn't even hit me yet because um, so much work has happened since we initially put it out, but... uh. I I wanted to begin by always thanking you all for uh, always giving us um, an open door platform to this wonderful show. And um, you're correct, when I usually come on, I come on in the capacity as the U.S. correspondent to the Herald Zimbabwe's national newspaper, which I have the honor of being the first person to have that responsibility, Um, and it's been since 2008 but something happened in 2006 before I got that responsibility. I was recruited into an organization on the ground in Harare called the Zimbabwe-Cuba Friendship Association. And what that organization represents is the fraternal and maternal bond between the peoples of Zimbabwe and Cuba. For those of you who don't know the backstory, the reason that Zimbabwe boasts a 97% literacy rate today is because between 1986 and 1996 3000 Zimbabwean teachers were deployed to Cuba to the Island of Youth for academic training and those teachers became the backbone of the Zimbabwean educational system which is a direct result of why they have a 97% literacy rate um and that agreement was made between the late Comandante Fidel Castro and the late Comrade R.G. Mugabe, um, the fallen Pan-African icon. And they made that because in 1986, it was Zimbabwe's turn to chair the non-aligned movement. And so that's how that relationship came to be. So, and um, for those of you who have a narrative of Southern Africa that's been reduced, restricted, and confined to the autobiographies of Madiba Nelson Mandela and Winnie Mandela, who we both admire. We must expand because anyone who knows Cuba's history knows that the Jose Marti award is the highest honor that Cuba bestows on any individual outside of Cuba that they're in solidarity with. So the first African to receive that award in 1984 was the late president of Burkina Faso, Thomas Sankara. In 1985, late president Mugabe received that award. And in 1990, um, Madiba Nelson Mandela received that award. So those are the connections there. But in 2006, my first visit to Zimbabwe, I was recruited into this organization by the then ambassador, Cuban ambassador to Zimbabwe, um, Companero um, Cosme Torres Espinoza, who has the distinction of being the highest-ranking Cuban diplomat. He was the deputy ambassador at the time of the Cuban interest section in Washington, which is now an embassy. And the difference between an interest section and his embassy is when you have normalized relations with a country or you're taking steps towards normalized relations. So um, he recruited me into that organization. And um, three years, four years ago, I was made the external relations officer of that organization, meaning that I function within the diaspora, primarily in the Western Hemisphere. So it was in that capacity, utilizing that platform, wearing that hat, that we worked in conjunction with the organization of African doctors, which was created by um, my nephew, who um, is in his third year of his residency at Grady Memorial, who is a graduate of the Latin American School of Medical Sciences, of And he um, was uh, instrumental in getting this organization off the ground. And the organization's makeup and composition is it's young people who are studying medicine in cuba who are going to go back to the countries that they came there from to be the best doctors those countries ever had as this year marks the 20th anniversary of the memorandum of understanding between the cuban government and the congressional black caucus that 500 youth out of this country primarily out of our community some out of the native american indigenous community some out of the um hispanic community and sprinkled in uh, caucasians who deal with abject poverty and they are supposed to come back to this country and practice in some of the poorest and most challenging areas so the fact that this, oh, uh, we launched oh, this appeal oh, during, oh. yes sir
2: before you go on i know i know you don't like to drop names and whatnot but could would you just for historical purposes for our listeners just tell them mm-hmm. uh who yeah. your nephew is related.
1: Yeah, to. He's, mean, my, he's my play nephew, but um, right. we, we convinced him to go to the Latin American School of Sciences when he was 13 years old, getting into all type of trouble in school, not because he had behavior issues, but he wasn't academically and intellectually challenged anymore. But he is the biological son of none other than Mukasa Dada, known in the history books as Willie Ricks, the SNCC field marshal who, along with Kwame Ture, are credited with popularizing Black power, espoused previously by Adam Clayton Powell, espoused previously by Richard Wright, and originally espoused by Frederick Douglass. So um, that's the bloodline. And the fact that he went down there and created that organization. So we had um, a conversation about a month ago now, three and a half weeks ago, and we talked about taking some direct action And we did an appeal, um, and we want to make a distinction for people between an appeal and a petition. An appeal targets organizations, networks, institutions, and individuals who have a rich organizational pedigree. And we felt that we should call it an appeal because we wanted to do this in the fighting spirit of David Walker. We wanted to do this in the fighting spirit of the Honorable Marcus Mosiah Garvey whose historic appeal to the league of nations in 1923 raised the question of genocide in the spirit of the appeal that dr w. E. B. du bois dropped on the united nations in 1947 and that was challenged every step of the way by first lady eleanor roosevelt who ironically was on the board of directors of the naacp at the time and of course in the spirit of Brother Omar Wally, El-Haj, Malik El-Shabazz, on Brother Malcolm, who was seeking to drop an appeal to on the UN on behalf of our people in this country before the FBI, CIA, and New York Police Department, in conjunction with the imperialist European intelligence apparatus, had other ideas. So um, we move in that spirit. And our objectives, it's dedicated to Um, Manu Dibango, the the late Cameroonian jazz icon, our brother Ellis Marcellus, the father, the patriarch of the Marcellus nation, if you will, Del Feo, Brantford, Wynton, and others. And um, our brother Bill Withers, whose music touched us for so many decades. And we have um, four um, demands that we're urging that the United States government grant the Henry Reeves Medical Brigade, which is the Cuban medical personnel, permission to deploy an emergency brigade to immediately come to U.S. borders and provide hands-on medical assistance, be it in hospitals, clinics, and other emergency installations that have been set up. We urge the U.S. government to grant the Henry Reeves Medical Brigade permission to deploy um, a brigade that would not only treat the sick, but conduct hands-on training to U.S. medical personnel whose experience dealing with a pandemic of this magnitude is limited or non-existent, urging the U.S. government when they get here to allow them to work in conjunction with three organizations that they have relationships with already. That would be the American Medical Association. That would be the National Medical Association. For your listeners who don't know, those those are our doctors of African ancestry who were created in 1896 when we could not join the American Medical Association and the Black Nurses Association. And the last thing is, we want um, the Food and Drug Administration, well, the US government, who would give the OK to the Food and Drug Administration for permission for victims of COVID-19, um, SARS-CoV-2, to have access to interferon alpha 2B, which was developed over 20 years ago in Cuba Center for Generic Engineering and Biotechnology. And this measure would be a step in concert with 45 other nations who have made a formal request for interferon alpha-2b based on its proven effectiveness as a form of treatment. And so this is what we put out initially. And as Brother Maccaro was going a little bit down the list, um, uh, we're we're looking to do the follow-up on this right now. And we did this in a week and a half, and we did not use social media. We use traditional wow. communication to get this done.
2: Right, right.
1: We're just getting right. I started. I mean,
2: obviously it was. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's a, it's a much needed appeal, uh, particularly uh, based on the statistics that we are seeing mm-hmm. the um, disparities in terms of both infections uh, and deaths yes, in in a lot in, in, in a lot yes. of our communities yes, uh, sir. A, across this country and mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's just absolutely I mean what what can you say uh, about actually the there,
1: there's something very disheartening to say about it and um, you know and you, I think you and I have talked about this before privately one of the travesties, when you look at the laundry list of uh, things done rooted in hatred and genocide what the very cultural fabric of the united states is politically culturally economically and militarily one of the things that is downplayed is how when the united nations general assembly takes place every year with the exception of a quick excerpt of whoever the u.s president is giving the opening remarks officially opening the assembly. For all intended purposes, the United, the, the corporate media, the academic institutions, local uh, media, they cut US citizens off from the flow of information, discussions, and seminars that take place when the whole world is assembled in New York for around two to three weeks. And why that's relevant to this conversation is that 10 years ago, I happened to be with late President Mugabe and we went to um, a session between the World Health Organization and the African nations. And Brother McCarroll, it was stated at that gathering that NCDs, which if your listeners don't know what that is, that's non-communicable diseases. So you're talking about heart attacks, you're talking about strokes, you're talking about diabetes, you're talking about high blood pressure, you're talking about cancer. Just mention some examples. That NCDs have now surpassed HIV, AIDS, cholera, malaria, as the number one killer of the human being. And they said that between 2010 and 2038, They were projecting that in the neighborhood of 57 million people will die in that 28-year time span from non-communicable diseases. And they said that the reason that you have such an alarming figure that they're prognosticating is because they're saying that when these pandemics invade your territorial space, people who have illnesses synonymous with heart, bad heart condition, synonymous with strokes, synonymous with hypertension, synonymous with high blood pressure, you're going to be the first ones to perish. So when you look at it in that context, in relationship to these disease, these diseases that ravage our community in disproportionate numbers, then it's no coincidence that we are the ones most compromised, we are the ones most threatened and this is why we feel that it is ironic though that um, ever since the discussion has escalated on a global scale about what started off to be millennial development goals which are for the record healthcare, education housing and clean drinking water which then became sustainable development goals which means that every nation on the planet has to have at least on the books methodology, strategic and tactical planning that they're always looking to improve on to ensure that the people who reside within their borders eventually are recipients of the basic needs. And this is happening at a time where, as we look at ourselves on a Pan-African scale, of the 25 poorest nations on earth, 22 of them are on the African continent. And the only three that are not are Haiti, which technically is Africa, the Solomon Islands, which technically is Africa, and Afghanistan, and of the 784 million inhabitants on Earth that live in extreme poverty, and numerically speaking, um, extreme poverty are people that live on a dollar ninety cents a day. Four hundred million of that 784 million live on the African continent, and for those who accept the amputated narrative of the African experience, who may raise the question. Well, what about us over here? We'll never forget you. You're 20, you, the U.S. born African, commonly referred to as the African American, you make up 21% of the poor in this country, even though you're 12% of the general population. So we are vulnerable, 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 vulnerable. And ironically, those Spanish speaking Africans, 90 miles away to the south in Cuba, They are in the best position to not only lead this fight, but win this fight. All we have to do is match their commitment to eradicating HIV with letting the Democrats know, letting the Republicans know, letting the State Department know, letting the intelligence agencies know it's time for them to get out of the way and let them come here and do what they need to do.
2: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. in, in, in indeed, you—you uh, correct. Uh, you know, to the extent that you know, our community, you know, does suffer disproportionately from what they call comorbidities, and mm-hmm. uh, the major problem there is that uh, you know you have weakened immune systems and. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody that uh, at least all of the intelligent uh, people are saying in the medical mm-hmm. profession are saying that the that our immune systems are our first line of defense uh, mm-hmm. in, in 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 this particular fight yes and I guess it it, it raises it raises a question or raises an issue as uh, certainly certainly some some of these some of these disease are hereditary you know there's nothing you can do about them some of them, but but there are there are some positive actions that, that we could take, you mm-hmm. know, upon ourselves, and so yes, and I think I think this is the value to me in my mind of having of having a liberation movement, mm. uh, because because not the the, the consciousness that's instilled, coupled with the work that's being done. Mm -hmm. Just in my in my opinion, you know, based on my experience, has an overall positive impact Mm -hmm. on the people who are involved in struggle. Yes, sir. And and so, you know, one of the things that that you know we were doing, we were doing all types of training, for example, physical conditioning and Mm you know, martial arts training, other types of training, these types of things when when you have a Massive people engaged in positive action—it just has an overall, in my opinion, health benefit. And that one uh, another thing that it does, in my opinion, is that it reduces what's called the allostatic load that uh, that 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 impacts us as a result of living, you know, under the conditions of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this 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 is another factor that that causes um, you know our death uh, prematurely uh mm-hmm. you know here in here in the bastion of of, of imperialism so yes, sir. there's clearly a, clearly a need to rebuild mm-hmm. a a mass a mass liberation movement and i know that um that you are a person who is activist oriented we have a lot of we have a lot of people mm-hmm. that talk but but, but not, not enough people who are doing who are doing mm-hmm. things um why don't yeah. you, uh brother obi um mm-hmm. starting um regarding what's happening from your perspective on the african mm. continent as a as 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 a result of as a result of this pandemic um I, you know one of the um, that...
1: Yeah, Africa Africa I think that what it is is um because they're used to dealing with pandemics they're more equipped and it's just the irony is that this country is Um, leading to cases of deaths. Now, um, I'll get back to Africa in a second, because ultimately, you know, Africa's first for us, but let me just say this. Um, 20 years ago was my first visit to Cuba. As a matter of fact, I haven't been back in 20 years. We jokingly tell them, we're not coming back until we implement the things we've promised. (laughs) And we've promised a lot and we just try to do our best. But with that being said, I was there for the Organization of Caribbean and Latin American Youth Conference, OCLAY. And that's something that different countries in the Americas, they rotate and they have the conference. And it was Cuba's turn to host it. So, you know, the delegations were large. And interestingly enough, at that conference was the first time that Comandante Fidel Castro made his first comments about the Iliam Gonzalez situation. And he said that um, he it hurt him a lot that the United States decided to use abduct a child to make a political statement. But with that being said, he was extremely um, happy that it backfired on them. Because he said what happened is the average US citizen learned more about Cuba's revolution in a four month period than they had in 41 years. And with the advent of technology, even though you are right, um, we have many uh, gold medalists and silver medalists if we were to have a tongue Olympics. There's no question about that at all. And the disparity between the articulation of ideas and execution of ideas is arguably wider than it's ever been when it comes to the battlefield on behalf of our people. I would never disagree with you there. But with that being said, the average US citizen has learned more about Cuba's healthcare system in the last month than they have in arguably the last 50 years. And right. this is why when people saw that we have the National Council of Churches on board with this, Joan Brown Campbell, the former general secretary of the National Council of Churches, um, a state senator, Malika Fortier, the Honorable Malika Fortier out of Alabama's 23rd district, arguably the poorest district in this country, a city council at large of Prince George's County, the most affluent African suburb in this country. You mentioned Cynthia McKinney earlier. I mean, I think that this speaks to that. So, and then when you compare this, Brother McCarroll, to 15 years ago, when Comandante Fidel Castro called the State Department 24 hours after Hurricane Katrina hit the Gulf region, and they were very rude and disrespectful And he said he was only calling to tell them that 500 medical personnel from Cuba who specialize in dealing with environmental disasters were ready to come to um, the Gulf region. And they hung up on him. And he called Uh back the next day and they said, "Um, what do you want this time? He said, I made a mistake. I told you it was 500 yesterday. Today, it's 1,500, another 1,000 joined the call. And they have their backpacks ready. They have their equipment ready. And they told me to tell you, not only will they come to the Gulf region, but they will not leave until the public hospitals are up again and completely functional. And if anybody knows anything about healthcare and knows about hospital quality, you know that those two hospitals in the Gulf region, qualitatively speaking, were the worst in the United States, public hospitals, that is. So, but in terms of Africa, um, we look to Africa on this because we know that 4,000 Cuban doctors are already on the African continent. We know that when Africa was the center of the world's attention four and a half years ago, when you had the Ebola pandemic between 2016 and 2018, cuba immediately deployed 400 doctors there to get that completely under control and anyone who knows anything about cuba's efforts on the african continent medically speaking you already know that um not only do when they're not treating the sick they are training the medical um personnel in africa who aspire to remain in their countries as doctors and nurses they're not And those are the only ones they will train. They won't train the ones who can't wait to come to D.C., who can't wait to go to London, who can't wait to go to New York, who can't wait to go to France, who can't wait to go other places to continue the perpetuation of the brain drain on the African continent. Arguably our biggest challenge, worse than all our wars, worse than all our diseases, worse than all our poverty. So the fact that they are doing that. And dare I say that as we see... People boasting about the $1.9 billion that Akufa Ado, the president of Ghana, pocketed from the year of return, where many of our people in this country uh, are excited to go back to Ghana to make a cultural pilgrimage, but their communication and interaction with the Ghanaians, the indigenous Ghanaians, the African-born Ghanaians, their conversations with them are going to mainly be in these prepositions right here. Cook my food, wash my car, drive me to the mall, clean my toilets, water my plants. And because of that neo-colonialist dynamic, the alternative is when Comandante Fidel Castro told Kofi Annan 20 years ago when the Millennium Fund was set up for more resources for Mother Africa to eradicate AIDS and deal with tuberculosis. He said that if the money was ever available, Cuba would deploy 4,000 medical personnel to stay in Africa and fight HIV-AIDS until AIDS is already eradicated. On a pan-African scale, in terms of other work they've done in the African world off the continent of Africa, as Trump is foaming at the mouth for the opportunity to bring about an illegal racist regime change in Venezuela, just like the illegal racist regime change they brought about in Bolivia, where they overtoppled our brother Comandante um, Evo Morales, the first indigenous president in the Western Hemisphere in modern history, a cocalero farmer. And they want to do the same thing to Maduro in Venezuela, following the dictate of President John F. Kennedy, who after the failed Bay of Pigs invasion on Cuba in 1961 that only lasted 72 hours, and they immediately initiated a blockade. What ended up happening after that is Kennedy made the declaration, what makes Cuba so dangerous is not just their ability to maintain their revolutionary path, their revolutionary direction, but the fact that they give an inspiration to others to do the same. This is why Allende was done away with in Chile in 1973. This is why 10 years later that African prince Maurice Bishop was assassinated at the tender age of 39, the same age as Malcolm, the same age as um, Dr. King, when they were assassinated. So um, I say that because if you pay attention to Cuban-Venezuelan relations, you're familiar with something called Operation Project Miracle, where Cuba and Venezuela collaborated on a campaign that came very close to having a 100% eradication rate of blindness. Mm. Virginia, Virginia, Virginia. In, um, in Venezuela, in, in assistance with Cuba. So we just wanted to chronicle um, the work they've done in Africa, and they're equipped to go to Africa. And the one thing we're envious of Africa on is even though 98% of our governments in Africa are so neocolonialist and so reactionary, that they're, they're remote control based on how submissive they are to Washington, submissive they are to France, submissive they are to Germany the one thing they won't compromise on is they keep the shores open to Cuban medical personnel to come in. And the other thing that I wanted to say real quickly is another important aspect of this conversation is when you look at Cuba's medical personnel all over the planet, the one big misnomer is the countries that embrace them with open arms are ideologically compatible with them. Many years ago, the first lady of Honduras at the time was signing a contract for 7,000 Cuban doctors to come to Honduras. And at the exact moment she was doing that, her puppet husband, the president of Honduras at the time, was with the United States in Geneva, submitting a resolution attacking Cuba on what they considered human rights violations. So that shows you how they feel. So the fact that they're willing to come here to deal with this pandemic, the fact they were ready to come here to deal with Hurricane Katrina, The fact they were willing to come here to deal with um, what happened after 9-11 shows that they're willing to overlook this monstrous blockade that you have that's aimed at crushing their economy and crushing their patriotic spirit. The fact that they're willing to overlook a military base that has been in their nation, going back to the days of the Spanish-American war, this hostility, because if you know US history, You know, the Spanish-American War was a war between Spain and the United States over the annexation of Cuba. And you know that the first seven presidents of this country wanted Cuba to end up the way Texas and California did, sucked up like a a vacuum cleaner does dirt from Mexico. So the fact that they've been fighting and resisting for such a long time, this is the same place where the Honorable Marcus Mosiah Garvey had 40 chapters of the Universal Negro Improvement Association African Communities League, This is the same place where in 1908, a year before the birth of Nkrumah, a year before the birth of Catherine Dunham, the same, the year before Du Bois and others started the NAACP, a year before Du Bois started, called for Encyclopedia Africana and wrote an incredible um, biography of John Brown. We had the first all African political party in the Western Hemisphere called Partido Independiente de Cola. We've been, we've been standing with Cuba a long time. We're gonna to continue to stand with them. But this is a special call because this is not just about their revolutionary direction, but this is about their humanity, this is about their compassion, and this is about their love for life.
2: And the Thanks. fight is being
1: waged by who they consider their greatest army of all, not the guerrillas who overtopped Batista, not the guerrillas that fought with us in Angola for 14 years, Not the guerrillas that were ready to fight with us in Guinea-Bissau, Mozambique, and the Congo, but their doctors, that's who they consider, their nurses, their specialists, that's who they consider their greatest army. And we wanna give them the ammunition to come to New York, to come to North Carolina, to come to Alabama, to come to Detroit, come wherever they're needed and on the battlefield bury the corona pandemic. It's the least we can do.
2: It's been a long time. Yeah, uh, you know, one of the things that you know, in that in that context, uh, despite the warning from from the Trump administration, sound like sound like how old is your
1: son now? He's nineteen. He's nineteen months. He he's calling. That's him in the background calling for them to come too. That's good
2: and and almost your son how old?
1: he's 19 months
2: yeah brother almost how old is your son yeah uh, he's 13 months so okay so they they going they going to be struggling side by side over your son and yes Almos, they are
1: son. yes they, we hope right
2: so <laughs> we uh, hope yeah, so they'll be right there struggling together um, yes sir you know just speaking of uh I saw a report that said Cuba, this is even before this uh, pandemic, had about 37,000 medical workers active in uh, 67 countries uh, Mm -hmm. uh, around the the world, and uh, it it, it just goes to show, in in my opinion, uh, you know, what great uh, humanitarians, a great humanitarian uh, orientation uh, they have, because there are some people who would say, uh, you know, that the heck with the the imperialist countries. <laughs> I mean, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you all, you all have been trying to kill us since 1959, or you know, actually mm. before the, uh, even longer. Uh, if you mm-hmm. go back to, um, you know, Columbus or whatever. But but the fact that but the fact of the matter is that despite that, they still they still will will send people. Uh, to, to countries. Uh, without Italy, without Italy.
1: hesitation. And the one, without thing that they, the, the one thing they're trying to sweep under the rug is how effective the young people are who went to medical school there, who've come back to the United States, what an exquisite job they've been doing in their respective areas. This is public knowledge, they know about it, but of course, you know, it's our job to bring it up. But the ultimate insult to injury, too, is who the brigade is named after. It's named after a European. They called him in Cuba, El Inglisto, the little Englishman named Henry Reeve, who was a brigadier general in Cuba's um army. He fought in the uh first ten the Cuban War of Independence from 1868 to 1878. And he was a drummer boy in the Union Army during the US Civil War, but he defected. Hmm and fought with the Cuban people. And they named a brigade after him. He was born in Brooklyn, New York on April 4th, 1850. And he fought with the Cubans and he participated in 400 engagements against the Spanish army, fighting on the side of the Cubans, straight out of Brooklyn. So all these years later, when New York is being ravaged and devastated by this pandemic, here is a call to bring a brigade all over this country in the name of Henry Reeve to treat the sick, doing the work of Jesus as Christians would say it. So it's um it's very good that this is happening. And like I said, um when for people who are into popular culture, when you take a look at the propaganda assault against this revolution, many of us, I'm 50 years old, so in 1984, I was in the ninth grade when Scarface came out, Al Pacino's movie. And for people who are into movies, they know that the original movie, Scarface, was made in 1932 by Howard Hughes, chronicling the life of Al Capone. And many may wonder how the um, movie shifted thematically from (laughs) Chicago (laughs) to Miami. If you watch that movie at the beginning of the movie, it's focusing on the Mario boat lift, where the people in Cuba who were partners with Lucky Luciano and Maya Lansky and Tony Arcardo and Vito Genovese and Frank Costello and Carlo Gambino, the so-called La Costa de Nostra, the mob, um, and Lucky Luciano had a heroin pipeline from a doll factory in Sicily. The drugs used to find their way to the shores of Havana. And they would eventually find their ways to the shores of NYC. And so this, the hatred, for those of people who are boxing enthusiasts, you already know that um, there was a um, fight between Aaron Pryor and Alexis Arguello in the Orange Bowl in Miami in 1982. And the reason, and Alexis Arguello was from Nicaragua. And he originally supported the Sandinista revolution but then he turned his back on the Sandinista revolution. And when he turned his back on the Sandinista revolution, he was embraced in Miami with open arms, because at that time, the Sandinistas had a very strong and special bond with the people of Cuba. And the United States is working to overthrow the Nicaraguan government right now as we're having this conversation. So um, you see you see that this is business as usual, but the difference is people have a heightened understanding They have a heightened purpose, and we're finally recognizing that this can't be business as usual for us. We're not worried about how the Democratic Party feels about this. If it makes Joe Biden's face beat root red, so be it. If it makes Bernie Sanders' face beat root red, so be it, because while he makes a lot of liberal overtures, he doesn't like us to move ahead of him. He still has that old-fashioned paternalistic liberal attitude where he feels he can't that progress and justice and truth should happen on his stale clock, but we're not waiting for him. We don't believe that there can be social reforms under the capitalist system. It is beyond reform, it is beyond repair, but let us in the name of the struggle dealing with non-communicable diseases, let us in the name of empowering the next generation to be the type of doctors we can be proud of, Because when those kids go to Cuba for medical school and take advantage of a $250,000 scholarship and come back here bilingual, we're going to have more Daniel Hale Williams, that's all, more Charles Drews, that's all. And then their worst nightmare, doctors like France Fanon, doctors like um, Augustino Nito, who led the MPLA in Angola, doctors like Samuel Prainyatua, who was the number two man in ZAPU in Zimbabwe. Those type of doctors, nurses like Harriet Tubman, Araminta Ross, their worst nightmare. Because um, medicine and the law, when you're really practicing them um, the way they're supposed to, you tap into your humanity, you tap into your decency, you tap into your compassion. And I say that because one of the things that the West has done in attempting to give a liberal interpretation of Cuba's work in the field of medicine, they call it medical solidarity, as though Cuba's medical efforts are to score points politically. So a socialist revolutionary country can't have compassionate human beings. This is the narrative that they try to spread. And the irony is like when we just went over the history of the mafia, the fact that this Cuban medical personnel were welcomed in Italy, the world was shocked two weeks ago when 54 of them landed in Italy and people were on the, um, on the runways cheering, waving Cuban and Italian flags together. And then a member of French parliament got up and said that, say what you want about Fidel, he's not here anymore. Say what you want about Che, he's not here anymore. But those Cuban medical personnel are needed in France, the home of de Gaulle the home of the colonizers of Algeria, the home of the colonizers of Haiti, the home of the colonizers of Guinea, the home of the colonizers of part of the Congo, part of the Cameroon, the colonizers of Senegal, the colonizers of Mali, the colonizers of Burkina Faso. And when you know the relationship between Cuba and Burkina Faso, you know that um, they broke a record in having children get quality vaccinations. And let me just say this to some people who have moved in the direction of herbal medicine, because some of them are whispering in our community, saying, how authentic is this? And they're questioning the whole push for the um, interferon alpha 2b. This is what I have to say to them. This isn't the time for that. And what I mean by that is because if you do your research, if you do your due diligence, since you're supposed to focus on green medicine, you would know that Cuba is the first country in the Western Hemisphere to make green medicine part of their national health policy. And if you would like to use this opportunity to establish a relationship with Cuba's um, Ministry of Public Health, those of you who say you're the extension of Dr. Sebi, those of you who say that you're the extension of Layla Africa, then sit down with us and let's make that arrangement. But don't use this as an opportunity to plant seeds of doubt in the minds of people who wanna respond to this call and wanna stand up and wanna fight for something of this type of quality. Because we're gonna leave the conspiracy theories and most importantly, the horror stories, we're gonna leave those to Jordan Peele and Stephen King.
2: Gotcha, gotcha. Let me, me, uh, you know, in the context of, you know, what you're saying, uh, recently the Miami Herald, reported that, and, and you can check the language, despite U.S. warnings, Cuba's medical diplomacy triumphs in the Caribbean during the pandemic, and they were talking about the deployment of 473 Cuban doctors, nurses, and other healthcare workers to eight uh, Caribbean nations, including uh, Jamaica, Grenada, uh, and Barbados, uh, and some others, uh, St. Yes. Lucia. Yes. Um, so, so you know i i'm looking i'm looking at this as is is this what has been exposed and you know we talked about this last week uh what has been exposed is the myth of american exceptionalism has been has been exposed and this this appears to me to be an opportunity where the developing nations of the world, the, the 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 African nations of the Caribbean, Africa and other places, mm-hmm. and, and, and other and other and other people who are have been suffering uh, forever under uh, European European American imperialism, this seems to be an opportunity number one. A lot, a lot of people are being, a lot of countries are being forced, particularly on the African continent, to do for self. And you know it is it is rather amazing on a continent with 1.33 billion people yes. that according to the the latest reports there are only uh there are 19,827 cases and 1,020 deaths. Now, they keep giving us these horror stories mm-hmm. that and you know this is coming from different organizations, the WHO for example, which is Actually, being led by an African from Ethiopia, mm-hmm. they are still anticipating uh, as many as three hundred thousand deaths. Now that's down quite a quite a few from what, what Bill Gates was originally um, mm-hmm. anticipating. But yes. you know, yeah, you wonder how much of this is just is uh, is the shock doctrine, shot shot capitalism. But but what about the opportunity this presents for? for us to do for sales rather than to become guinea pigs for uh, different types of tests and all these kinds of things. I mean, we have, we're the world's original medical personnel, the world's original Yes, doctors. sir,
1: yes, sir. Uh, and we, it, we see, yes, sir, you, you, we see you can't that, put it,
2: you we can't see put that it uh, any better than
1: that. You, but this is the yeah, thing, this is what we're saying. Ahead, now, ahead. this is, once again, you cannot, you always got to look at the United States. Um. We had an article, uh, an article came out about the appeal Thursday in the Washington Informer. And um, we want to send a message to Ben Chavis, the president of the National Newspaper Publishers Association, because we put this in his hand. We are coming. And what I mean by that is you're going to have to write a statement of support dealing with this particular question. We're not threatening you. We're not trying to intimidate you. We're not trying to antagonize you. We're saying when you look at this appeal and you see the cross spectrum of people, those of you who've received it that didn't get a chance to sign on to it initially, you should write a statement of support. We salute the Malcolm X grassroots movement for being willing to do that. We salute the New African People's Organization for being willing to do that. We salute the December 12th movement in New York, who we have partnered with on the Zimbabwean question for the last 20 years. We thank them for being willing to do that. We have been in conversations with the mayor of um, Newark, New Jersey, Raz Baraka, who we have asked not only to write a statement of support for this appeal, Brother McCarroll, but to make a call to the National Conference of Black Mayors at a time where we have more mayors that look like us 98% Democrat than at any time in our history to unanimously endorse this. Malika Sanders-Fortier, who we mentioned earlier, she's not confining this to Alabama. She's going to put this on the floor for the National Conference of Black State Legislators for the purpose of them unanimously saying they want to deal with this. Um, Our brother Calvin Hawkins, who is city council at large in PG County, we've asked him the same thing. We had a conversation yesterday with the Malcolm X grassroots movement and for the purpose of seeking to engage the Honorable Chokwe Lumumba Jr. Not just because of the work we did with his father, but the work we wanna do with him now. So that he in Jackson, Mississippi writes a statement of support and he presents it to the National Conference of Black Mayors. Same thing, maximum engagement, cross sector, regardless of where people fall, regardless if we even agree on the question of Cuba, but in the spirit of the needs of our people and the needs of all other people vulnerable at this particular moment, this is, this is why we feel so comfortable, so equipped, and so determined to see this through. And um, we're just going to keep fighting. We're going to keep working. We're going to keep organizing. And we're so optimistic that we will be raising our hands in victory on this particular question. But back to Africa, though, um, it, it before, a matter of fact, um, since Michelle Obama has so much time to party with D-Nice on Instagram, and he's a great <laughs> DJ, so we understand why his music would make you want to groove, she should have time to get on Instagram and say that she supports the Cubans coming here. The same thing with her husband. He got a lot of attention for his high-profile field trip to Cuba, and Comandante Raul Castro told him while his efforts were appreciated, they were insufficient. Nothing would make more sense. Nothing would make more history since he talks about change, so, But even though we know he's, that's not fundamental change. He's talking about uh, cosmetic change, but it's still a degree of change. He could make a call right now and say that he agrees in principle that this should happen and politics that we should look the other way in terms of quote unquote political tension if he really wanted to show that he's a trailblazer if he really wanted to show he's a courageous thinker if he really wanted to show that he was a forward thinker he should he should do this so um and we have our children in the mass emphasis positive action and creativity youth brigade who are going to um create a mini documentary where they're going to be making a call. We got a 16-year-old baby named Zaire Muhammad, who's the president of the Black Student Union at DeMatha High School. For those of you who are basketball fans and uh, that are listening, that know the legendary DeMatha in terms of sports, he is making a call to all the presidents of the Catholic HBCU, uh, of the Catholic Black Student Unions in this country, saying that, In the spirit of the social gospel, they claim to champion. In the spirit of the liberation theology that they claim to champion, will they stand up? We've got um, students who are willing to engage all the student governments at the HBCUs. And for those who like to have spirited intellectual conversations, this is the work of Booker T. Washington here. He he had that Negro health week going on in this country after the success of the Philadelphia Negro, Du Bois did another study called The Physique and Health of the Negro American. And if you know Du Bois history, his firstborn child with Nina Goma died from a, from a disease because due to segregation, couldn't be treated. So this is an ongoing, we said we've been fighting for quality health care since 1896 when the National Medical Association was born. We know the Honorable Marcus Mosiah Garvey had the Black uh, Cross Nurses Association. This is just a a continuation of that fight. And Cuba just happens to be the shield of this fight. Cuba just happens to be the face of this fight. But it's a fight that we fought for a long time that we're not going to give up, that we're not going to abandon, that we're not going to compromise. And we just feel that there's no way we challenge anyone. And the fact that we got the National Council of Churches We're calling for all the Baptists. We're calling for all the Methodists. We're calling for all the Presbyterians, all the Episcopalians, all the Catholics, all the Pentecostals. There's no way you can't come on board with this. We got the comedian Ada Rodriguez with us. Dave Chappelle needs to come. Eddie Murphy needs to come. Arsenio Hall needs to come. Corey Holcomb needs to come. Tommy Davidson needs to come. Steve Harvey needs to come. This needs to be a mass effort on that level. Our traditional organizations, the NAACP needs to come. The Nation of Islam needs to come. The National Conference of Black Lawyers needs to come. Al Sharpton and the National Action Network need to come. Everybody, everybody, it should be an all hands on deck effort. And if the Democrats get mad at you, they'll, they'll get over it. If your grant writers get a little mad at you, They'll get over it. You just got to tell them that that cemetery where you anticipate many of your people are going to end up. This was the motivation for you to make a departure from the traditional script and from the traditional narrative.
2: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, well said. I mean, you know, in a country uh, that now has over uh, forty thousand deaths and over seven hundred and sixty. Confirmed cases. I mean, you, you would think that uh, you would think that it would be a no-brainer, uh, but these people have really never cared. Uh, I mean, when when it comes right down to it, I mean, as you can see with these these protests, these uh, people chomping at the bit to uh, you know get to the beach and get back mm-hmm. uh, bars and things. I mean. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's 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 all it's always been profit, profit over people, and mm-hmm. and, and what you have the, the the for-profit medical system of the United States was proven to be totally, totally, totally unprepared, uh, despite the warnings that they were getting from their own intelligence community, mm-hmm. uh, whether uh whether actually blaming uh saying that it originated there and uh in uh, China or, or mm-hmm. not is, is accurate. The fact of the matter is that they, they were warning uh, the, the administration in as early as November. Uh, Trump thought enough about Israel to send the send the intelligence on to them and on to NATO. But mm-hmm. the fact of the matter is, I mean, what you have now is a, a medical crisis, which is certainly uh there's it's absolutely guaranteed that it's going to be res, be a result in a, a mental health crisis also mm-hmm. and we have not begun to feel the full economic impact of, mm-hmm. of so it would behoove anybody uh any any people
1: the with, the, the, with, re- the rest of the rest of the country is getting a sneak preview of what we've dealt with for 400 years. We're 21% yeah. of the poor. That, that's our regular thing. Um, like we said, for p- people who may be just tuning in, of the 784 million people that survive on a dollar ninety cents a day or less, 400 million of them are in Mother Africa. So this is just our reality. And the fact that Cuba is poor because of the blockade on them, which is the ultimate goal, to get this blockade lifted, but the more their genuine attributes are celebrated, it's going to be hard for the United States to use their traditional bully pulpit, their traditional methodology of demonization and isolation. It's not going to work. Because now, since the Millennium sustainable development goals are crystallized, and they are clean water, health care, education, and housing, going to be hard for you at a time where you have no problem. And then let's look at this. When these young people come back from Cuba for medical training, what's going to happen in this country? The treatment of the elder- elderly is going to elevate because Cuba's gerontology program is the most advanced in, in the Americas. They have the lowest HIV AIDS rate in the world, so that's going to drop. Many medical experts feel that they are the nation that's on the verge of finding a permanent cure for cancer. So when you think about all the people we lose to prostate cancer and colon cancer, and now you're going to be training young people to come back and deal with that, what does that mean? They have the lowest infant mortality rate in the world. What does that mean in the relationship to the treatment of our babies? So we're thinking long-term. This isn't just something spontaneous that we're doing, and we don't have a long-term plan. And then ultimately, like we were saying, A few years, like, we have gone from what, in conclusion, because I know we're coming up on the end, we've gone from what we call COINTELPRO to OINTELPRO, covert intelligence to overt intelligence. And the United States Agency for International Development is the most dangerous organization on this planet. And when you take a look at what's called the Bolivarian Alliance for the Americas, Cuba was part of it. Bolivia under Morales was part of it venezuela under maduro was part of it it's a call saying that the united states agency for international development that kennedy created simultaneous with the peace corps who under the guise of humanitarian aid does the same intelligence work that the cia does out in the open does the same work that the united states information agency used to do out in the open they got busted in cuba a few years ago brother makeru at an HIV aids seminar telling Cuban citizens to rise up against their government. So the fact that they are the ones who use humanitarian aid as humanitarian and political blackmail in the African continent, if we are willing to put through the African Union in Washington and their affiliate office at the United Nations, if we're willing to invest financially in Cuba's medical efforts on the African continent, Cuba's medical efforts in the Caribbean, we would have made the most emphatic humanitarian statement we have made since our ancestors came here 400 years ago. So what we're calling for in terms of them to come to US borders is inextricably linked to the fight to give them more support, material support, for their efforts on the African continent. Because you're talking about a blockaded nation that goes to the poorest parts of Africa and not only treats the sick, but trains the future medical personnel. Because Comandante Fidel used to jokingly say, Dr. King wasn't the only one with an ambitious dream. His dream was to build a medical school in Africa one day.
2: Right. Gotcha.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, Brother we, we we certainly appreciate having you. We and, thank you. And all. All the information that you have mm-hmm. uh, presented uh, certainly we're talking about a a cause that's that's necessary for the liberation and empowerment of our people. Yes, and, sir. And certainly you 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 can't wage a liberation struggle if you're not healthy.
0: You no, cannot you cannot. That just
2: it, it, that this, it, it mm-hmm. requires mental, mental health and physical health in order in order to wage a struggle. We appreciate having you, brother,
1: and and um, we we have um we have some hashtags for people so they can see the appeal. Okay. We're, we we we're we're moving into the technological domain, so right. hashtag get out of Cuba's way, hashtag unblock Cuba, hashtag Cuban blockade inhumane. So if you go to those three hashtags, you should be able to get the appeal. You see the laundry list of endorsements and you'll be able to keep up with us. Our website should be ready by tomorrow. We'll forward that to you so that people can stay abreast and find out how we plan to follow up.
0: Power or the lack of power. I want to repeat this, power or the lack of power. If your education in this institution is not about gaining real power, not jobs, because your jobs do not represent power. Not getting elected, that does not represent power either. You are buying your houses and fine clothes, does not represent power. Either. If it is not about real power, you are being miseducated and misled, and you will die educated and misled. your study of black history is merely an exercise in feeling good about yourself, then you will die feeling good. The study of history then must be more than the pumping up of your self-esteem and the pumping up of your pride. Those things are important, but ultimately those things are not the means by which we will save ourselves as people in this world.